Hey guys, it's Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio. You probably know that we've been hard at work here at Girlboss on building a digital community where everyone who listens to Girlboss Radio, everyone who follows Girlboss on social media, everyone who's read the book or used the hashtag can connect with one another and have your own beautiful profile and do much more. It's a community for ambitious women. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, be sure to go to community.girlboss.com to sign up and be on our wait list so you don't miss any updates. And this is relevant specifically because I get to talk to someone who has built social networks over the course of her career to the tune of 100 million users. Gina Bianchini is the founder of Mighty Networks, a platform that helps brands and businesses build a community by bringing people together via classes, events, and content all in one place. So if you have an audience and you want them to connect with one another directly in a place that isn't your social comments, Mighty Networks is the place for you. Here's a little nugget from our conversation. You know, I actually think it's not about the future of niche audiences. The future is niche audiences. Welcome to Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. On today's show, Gina and I talk about what we all get wrong about niche audiences, why we need to go beyond Facebook groups to build a community, and what the next phase of social media might look like. Here's our conversation. Gina, welcome to Girlboss Radio. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And full transparency, we've we've talked over the years. We've met once, exactly once at a conference, of course. And I've been following what you're doing, and I'm a fan of it. Really, really interesting, and I want to hear a lot about Mighty Networks. I think it's probably a good idea to start there. Tell me about Mighty Networks. What is it? Sure. So Mighty Networks, we are a software as a service platform, but what we really are is an enabling technology so that amazing creators and entrepreneurs can bring together their communities with content and online courses and events and polls and questions and all sorts of great stuff and be able to charge money for either all of it or a part of it. Okay. So who would it be for? Who would join Mighty Networks and do well on the platform? Is this for people who already have a large audience? It depends. Um, we have had Mighty Networks. And, and the best way to think about us is is we are for creators and entrepreneurs in the same way that you would start a Shopify store for you know selling merchandise. We want to be a platform that instead of selling physical merchandise, you can actually sell digital services. So you can sell access to an online course or a bundle of mastermind groups or a series of events all under your brand in the same way that you you know you would sell under your brand on a Shopify store or on a Squarespace website. So no one is joining Mighty Networks per se. It's all about how a creator is able to bring their people together under their brand and use our platform to be able to do that. Um, so we have sort of big creators like Gretchen Rubin, who uh, is the author of The Happiness Project, as well as a, a, probably like I think seven or eight other New York Times bestsellers at this point. She's got nearly 80,000 people in her Mighty Network that's called Better – 
And what they're doing is actually navigating and talking through her different concepts. Um, another really cool example from my perspective is something called Find What Feels Good Kula, which is a 90,000-person um, mighty network for fans and followers of Yoga with Adrian, which is uh, a YouTube channel that's Adrian Meisler and her team that is – I think they have something like 5 million YouTube subscribers today, and they're all coming together in a private community that's really designed for them to kind of go through the week together uh, with other fans and with other followers. Are people paying to be part of that community? Yes. Wow. How much are they paying to be 90,000 people? How much are they paying month monthly? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, and I'm not sure if it's all 90,000 as much as it's potentially a, a percentage of those within. We also see a lot of really cool things happening. Um, and our platform is really, you know, our mission is to, to focus on how do we make that stuff easier and more seamless so that the creator, the entrepreneur who's convening everybody, bringing everybody together in the way that you and your team are bringing people together with Girlboss, how you can focus on the things that bring people together, and then the software can actually do the work of connecting the right people to each other. So it's not just showing up to listen or to um, to consume content. It's about the relationships that you're actively building. Are you a fan of the word community? I, I have mixed feelings about the term community. Uh, the reason is that I have a super specific definition of it, which is that it is about bringing people together to meet each other. And where I see it get thrown around in the context of social media is building really an audience where, you know, I like to ask the question, like, when was the last time you like built a real relationship with someone in the comments? Or especially like with Instagram stories, it's like you in many cases, don't even see, you're able to build a relationship as the creator with the people who are following you and messaging you. But your ability to connect those people to each other is super limited. And I think where the real magic happens and where real communities get built, and also if we want to get technical, where all the value that's been created by massive tech platforms in creating a network effect, meaning it gets something that gets more valuable with every new person who joins. I want to protect the term community and the, even the term network effect to describe the ability for a creator to connect their fans and followers to each other, as opposed to throw it around as an interchangeable word to audience. What do you think the future of niche audiences is? It seems like that's something you know, you're really building around, but I think people are still figuring out how important that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I actually think it's not about the future of niche audiences. The future is niche audiences. And when you look at the fact that in the past, whether it was a newspaper or whether it was a TV station or whether it was a radio station, the the parameter of what they were building was location. It was the geographic market that they were in. So if anything, what's happening is instead of the geography being the the box that media lives in, it's actually about what is that interest, that passion, that goal, that niche that a 
creator can create in a way that I would actually argue is much more authentic and therefore much more effective and successful than what a large media brand that's trying to roll out, you know, 20 at a time is able to do. And this ability to come together around more and more specific niches or more and more specific interests, you can sort of use the two words interchangeably, is the future period. It's not the future of audiences. It's not the future of communities. It's not the future of online courses. It is the future period because the technology allows us to do it today. And it's what we actually are yearning for as human beings. We want to belong. I can't believe we're just, oh my God, two and a half weeks out from the next Girl Boss rally. At UCLA, June 29th and 30th, two days, 2,000 women. I say this every time, but it's because I really mean it. This is going to be our best rally yet. We have more workshops than ever, so you can come to learn specifically what's relevant to you. We have coaching, inspiration, resume makeovers, a job fair, a shopping bazaar, so much more. And if that overwhelms you just a little bit, we've also created a really special space in partnership with our friends at Cathay Pacific Airways called the Zen Den. It's a place where you can move beyond the stress, anxiety, nerves, or jitters you might be feeling with sound baths, meditation moments, kundalini yoga, and so much more. Oh my God, I'm going to be there when I'm not on stage. Because success isn't just about going, going, going all the time. It's also about taking care of yourself. And I hope you'll join me and our friends at Cathay Pacific Airways, who will be hosting a sweepstakes for a chance to win a flight for two to Hong Kong. What? I can't enter? So be sure to register if you haven't already at girlboss.com rally. How do you scale niche though? So niche, sometimes people think of like, I have a niche in my apartment and I have a great plant in it. And that's like, that's a niche for them. That's, it's very different. So from a social media perspective, community building, whatever we want to call it, that's something that starts with lightning in a bottle, right? How do you build from there? So first of all, niche doesn't mean small. It means narrow. And I think that the thing that is so interesting is that when you're talking about a base of six million billion people, you know, a niche and being narrow does not actually mean that it's small. And so I look at it and I think about the the impact of a niche. First of all, it's the only thing that you can do. The only way you're going to get started today is if you have something that, and I don't look at it just as like, oh, it's lightning in a bottle. It's being really conscious and really aware of who you are building for as much as what you are building. And it is absolutely about being specific. As a data point, there are 22 million people and brands around the world who have over a million Instagram followers. There are 68 million people who have Facebook groups with over 20,000 members in them. There are 147 million people who have over 10,000 Instagram followers. So this notion that niche is so small and it's obscure and you can't, you know, you can't make money doing it is just BS. And in fact, what's happening is that we are now sitting on fertile ground where over 360 million different people 
have the opportunity to create their own owned and operated little media business. Um, And that is where the energy today is coming from. Have you raised venture capital? I mean, you started. I I want to talk about Ning a little bit later, but venture capital is a really interesting thing. And you get really scary questions. One of the questions with what we're building, and we're building our own kind of community network. I don't know what you want to call it. It's still in the kind of nascent stages. You're building, I mean, you're building a brand that brings amazing, ambitious women together and helping elevate them. And it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That's like, I want I want to say that myself. I yeah, I got to get that talking point down. Um, so I guess what I'm... Just bring me to your meetings with you. Okay, okay. I'll be like your hype woman. I know. We haven't spent enough time together. You're <laughs> like the most relevant person I could possibly be talking to. And for our listeners, I'm really sorry if I'm just picking your brain for my own benefit. But I hope it also That's benefits fine. everyone who's listening. So what are the criticisms we've had just early on when I'm just talking broadly about what it is that I'm building is, what's the difference between this and a Facebook group? <laughs> and I think that, yeah. Have you heard that? Yes, I have. Okay. How do you answer that question? Yeah. So a couple couple of different things. Um, so one, it's apples and oranges. So one of the things that is a foundational element that will never change about a Facebook group is it's on Facebook. And what that means is that they are going to use Facebook groups for their purposes, which means that it's about you doing a lot of work to feed a black box algorithm that then is going to keep changing over and over again. You have to start with the foundation of the fact that a Facebook group is free because you and your members are the product. And Facebook can change the rules at any point in time. And the way that they have changed the rules for brands and built their $55 billion advertising business, I don't know of a brand that is based on bringing people together and creating a network effect, meaning it gets more valuable the more girl boss people who join, that you would ever want to do that on a Facebook group. Not to mention the fact you don't have branding, you don't have actually very sophisticated features for bringing people together, meaning you can't connect your members by location, you can't connect your members by subcategories, you can't actually run subgroups within one Facebook group. You actually have to then have a zillion Facebook groups. For all of those reasons, oh, you can't have online courses, which is a key part of any community today because people want to learn with each other. And you can't run subscriptions. You can't actually take payment. And that's just like, those are just the things off the top of my head. I'll tell you the thing that is the real, the real crux of why Facebook groups are not the place to build a community. Coming back to our find what feels good example, so the the yoga with Adrian community. When they found Mighty Networks about two, three years ago, they had a 25,000-person Facebook group. And they were starting their Find What Feels Good Mighty Network kind of at the same time. And what they found was someone could ask a question in both places. And on Facebook, people were actually coming in, as they describe it, they were coming in hot. They were looking for a fight. They were lashing out at other members for a yoga community, by the way. Um, they were 
They were just, you know, they had just come from the, and probably even interacting with yoga with Adrian with Find What Feels Good in their feed that between a political debate with their, you know, 65 year old aunt who is is passionate about hating Hillary Clinton. They're trying to build a yoga community of people who are, you know, coming together to support and encourage each other in their practice. And then the next thing, you know, below that is, you know, something related to their family or some other outrage. Like the actual interactions on Facebook, to put features aside, they're more negative. They're that I'm in fight mode. I'm in debate mode. It's That's divisive. It's, it's divisive. Exactly. It's the difference between trying to have a retreat or like you do amazing events. Imagine you were trying to do that event in the middle of like a Hilton in like, you know, the center of New York City, but in the like not in its own room, in the actual like next to the front desk while everybody else is walking by and there's like a parade coming through. Like you can't actually create a community that way. As you can tell, I have strong opinions about this topic. No, I know, I know. And I'm I'm going to go talk about what we're doing in a little while. And I want to say things like, you're not LinkedIn Monday through Friday and Instagram Saturday and Sunday. And that becomes a whole conversation where I have to like name drop other, then you're like taking on giants. And I'm not sure. I'm like, you're on a professional network Monday through Friday and you're on like a fun, I'm not sure like how explicitly I want to approach the, like other networks, but it's hard to talk about what we're doing without talking about where other people are spending their time. Yes and no. I mean, I would really like, and I'm happy to have a follow-up conversation about this because, you know, we just went through a big fundraising round last year. I I went through a lot of these kinds of conversations. And I think what you are doing fundamentally with Girlboss is you are building a brand that brings people together and you are creating more value with every new person that you bring together. And whether it's inst- like all of the, the rest of it, the point is that if you looked at your metrics I will guarantee you, you have created a network effect amongst the women that you are bringing together. And that is only going to get more and more valuable as you are able to create your own space for amazing women to meet each other. How would you describe a network effect for those listening who may not know what that means? By definition, what a network effect means is that the network gets more valuable to every person with every new person who joins. So the simplest example is that if you show up and no one is you, you know no one is in the community <laughs> there's not a lot of other people to talk to. So you um and your team you're going to kind of kickstart the conversation. You're going to kind of get it going. The the 10th person who comes in now actually has you plus, well, it's, let's call it the 11th person who comes in, has you and 10 other people to be able to connect with. And each of those people have their own stories. They have their own experiences. They're, they have their own ideas. So if you're there to get value from from the network, meaning that you you can get more inspiration. You can actually navigate how you're going to think about your own negotiation that you want to do, or what, whether or not you want to take three months off because you want to travel to, you know, the Middle East and, and Egypt or Ethiopia, and then you know where and how do you want to start back when you get back? Those ten people added more value. By simply being there and being able to message them 
than if you were creating something where you were just pushing out content and there was no way for those people to actually see a profile understand their experiences, be able to spark conversations through direct messaging and threaded comments. And that stuff isn't happening on Instagram or really on Facebook. Yeah, there's no way anyone can create content as, I guess I'll say the word niche, as I'm in Austin and I need to find an accountant who can do my small business taxes. Like that's not that's not content we can create because it's so focused, but that's something a community can do for one another. Right. And that's a network effect. So the difference, and this is why I use that term really specifically, is community has come to mean audience and to a lot of people. They're like, oh, my community on Instagram has 5,000 you know, people in it. Well, no, not really. You have 5,000 followers on Instagram. But your followers' ability to message and build relationships with other followers is pretty limited and pretty arduous because that's not really the way that Instagram is set up. When you build a community and when you build a network effect, you're building features so that those members can actually meet and build relationships with each other. And that's a pretty it's a pretty subtle difference, but it's a critical one because it means less work for the team at Girlboss with a lot more value created for the 12th person who joins because there's 11 other people who have their stories to contribute and share or the 20,000th person or the 20 millionth person. One more thing about this summer's Girl Boss Rally, which we'll be hosting at UCLA on June 29th and 30th. We're going to have some amazing speakers on the main stage. One of the women I'm most excited to hear from, Michelle Fawn. She's joining us in partnership with our friends at Cathay Pacific Airways to share her personal journey with anxiety and mental health and the tools she used to ground herself. She found a way to move beyond through travel and a true break from social and even her fans. And I love Michelle's raw vulnerability and the heart with which she tells her story, which so many of us can relate to even if we don't have millions of fans on social and a multi-million dollar business under our belt. I hope you'll join me and our friends at Cathay Pacific Airways to soak up her perspective. Don't forget, they'll be giving away a flight for two to Hong Kong to one lucky rally participant. So if you haven't registered yet, don't sleep on it. Girlboss.com slash rally. So you've spent your career building social networks, you know, understanding network effects, you're really kind of a pioneer there. And the way social networks have grown, you know, I'm curious, how has that changed from your time at Ning, uh, which was an early social network, to today? Because at Ning, you had something like, what, 100 million users? Is that <laughs> is that accurate? So network effects, yes, are, okay, the community or the audience or the members, the the content becomes more valuable as more people join. In terms of getting to those more people, when we talk about network effects, it also means that when you log into LinkedIn, the first thing it does is say, import your contacts. And there are multiple ways to make sure that people are bringing, you know, the best the best you know members or the best audience or people that are of a similar mindset as the people that are already on there. What would your I mean this is just also selfish advice in terms of 
you know, instead of marketing to one person and another person and having these, you know, relatively disparate groups, which I also think is interesting where you're meeting people, you know, traditional social networks, you're meeting people who you already know, you're connecting with people you already know. It's also interesting to connect with people that you don't know, but the way things, vi virality is built through people inviting people they know. Am I correct in that? And what would the tools be to do that because you know growth we can only market ourselves so much we can only market to our Instagram audience or our you know email list so much if we wanted to put the you know power in our users hands to do that for us what are the best ways of doing that so the good news is that when you have a niche that is clearly defined what tends to happen is that people will be attracted to that purely by you existing. The clearer and more aspirational or, or the more that you can use a brand that basically creates that sense for somebody of like, oh my God, they understand me. These are my people. It's you are bringing people together around an idea and a identity that has to it hey, we're going to learn and we're going to do something really interesting together. So from a tactical perspective, what would your advice be to engineer virality into our product? Now it's about, okay, how do we engineer better relationships between those people that are on our email list versus just pushing out content? And then figuring out how in those relationships, getting each and every one of those people to bring two more people into the community, that is viral growth. How do you do by that? By definition. How do you do it? That is viral growth. How do you do it? <laughs> well, so one, it's like like you want to bring people together to that that they can see value from each other. So how are you so I would be asking questions like, how are you convening conversations such that it it feels a lot less like somebody's listening to a speaker and more like everybody's going around the room introducing themselves and what they're navigating right now? How are you organizing different interest-based groups within Girl Boss. So there could be the LGBTQ small business bakers, you know, like like as well as like dog lovers or all of these different subgroups actually build stronger relationships. And then once you have those stronger relationships, the the idea that you're going to bring one or two or three more people into that world, you know, local meetups that are self-organized amongst your members. And so all of these are like these are at that point it becomes product features in software and a strategy or we call it and think about it as community design before i want to and i know i've mentioned ning but i think this is really important so before mighty networks you and netscape co-founder mark andreessen launched ning which was very early in the social media space and it, it, you know 100 million users is massive what would you say the main difference between mighty networks and ning is yeah, so Ning was a early platform that believed, and, and, and our starting premise was that in the same way that before there was the internet, before there was the web, there were online services like AOL. So like, you know, your, your, <laughs> your, your older brother and sister or your parents used AOL chat rooms over, you know, modems, and that was actually their first experience with being connected online. 
Then what happened was people were like, hey, I want to actually make my own stuff. And then you had the explosion of the internet and the explosion of websites. And every website is different and unique. And, you know, you can use HTML and CSS and JavaScript to, like, make and add your own flair to a website. At Ning, we believed that social media would actually evolve in the same way, that there wouldn't be one monolithic social network a la AOL, but there would be millions of different communities, millions of different smaller network effects, meaning that there were communities that got more valuable with every new person who joined around an interest, around a passion, around a goal, around an identity. And so that was the premise of Ning. So we weren't actually a social network. You didn't actually join Ning. We had basically creators, those same 360 plus million people that today have WordPress sites and followings on you know, Instagram and Facebook. They would come in and create a Ning network and then invite a bunch of people in. And some percentage of those people would then create their own Ning network. So we had this viral loop, essentially, not just in the viral growth of a host or a a creator inviting members in, but then those members actually going and creating their own Ning networks. We see the same dynamic at, at, at Mighty Networks. And I think that we are seeing it more and more in terms of when there are 360 million plus people who are actually able to really think about how they create their own communities. That's a powerful force for unlocking creativity unlocking their ability to make more money because they're able to deliver something delightful and valuable to the people that they serve. And like, I'm here for it. Like, that is what I believe is the future. And I think we are going to live in a world where we get to go deep on three or four different communities that are meaningful and important to us. And each of them are different. They stimulate us and they are using different parts of our brain and our person to learn, to strive towards mastery, to just feel like we are supported and connected and learning from each other. And that's girl boss. That is yoga with Adrian or find what feels good. That's better and Gretchen Rubin. That's Peter Diamandis and his exponential thinkers. And the world will be a more interesting and vibrant and resilient place as we start to spend more and more of our time going into these smaller worlds where we get to go deep as opposed to live in a very fragile and risky monoculture and one feed that is very easily manipulated because it's basing popularity on extremism. Hey guys, if you don't know about it, we have our fifth ever Girl Boss Rally coming up here in Los Angeles on the UCLA campus. We're all going to go back to school. This is the school of life for you. We're going to bring together 2,300 women from dozens of countries to hear a hundred of the most inspiring, accomplished entrepreneurs, business leaders, and industry experts over the course of two days here in sunny Los Angeles this June 29th and 30th. If you want to learn more and register for the Girl Boss Rally, just go to girlbossrally.com. See you there. So you've had a really interesting career, and that doesn't come with without its own kind of set of failures or (laughs) 
setbacks. You know, we've all been there. So I'm curious, yeah. what would you say your biggest career mistake has been so far? And what did you learn from it? I would say the biggest mistake is also the the greatest thing that happened to me in terms of the opportunities that were that that you know were created and that I I took advantage of and that I seized and the biggest failures for me are completely interrelated and unfortunately I would say it's trusting the wrong people and that is the mistake that I have made in my career and at the same point in time I wouldn't have it any other way because as a high-integrity person, I want to trust people. That's important to me. How do you know who to trust and who not to trust? Because I've, I mean, I think well, we've, learned, I think we've all been there. quite the hard way. <laughs> yeah, the hard way. But today, do you, I mean, because when I don't trust people, it makes me want to micromanage. It makes me want to be all over everything. I've been there where, you know, I trust people and, you know, they've, you know, driven the company in the wrong direction. But... You know, you can't let smart people kind of run if you kind of cling too hard to them. So there's some kind of a balance there. How do you know who to trust without being that overbearing person and, you know, ver- verifying everything all the time? Sure. Yeah, that that doesn't feel good for anybody. In my case, the people I trusted were not people who worked for me. They were partners and, and other folks. When I think about that specific question of like, how do you basically, as, as, one, as one of my former colleagues actually said to me one time, he's like, you're not going to get all David Fincher army, like on me, are you? And I didn't know what that meant. So I went and had to like go look it up. And David Fincher as a director, as a movie director, like takes like a hundred takes like per scene and like just drives his actors like into the ground. And so I was like, oh, thank you for that reference. And so the thing that I think is super important is working with people that you guys share the same the same goals, share the same values, and also have been really clear on like how you want to work together. And that's not always easy. And, you know, at least in my experience, the people that you tend to have the conversation around micromanagement with tend to not be the right fit for you. Because um, there's no such thing as like everybody loves to talk about like, oh, this person's world class or we have a world class team. You know, the same person can be phenomenal in one organization and fail miserably in another, depending on what the chemistry and the dynamics are. And so I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, was a lesson that I learned, unfortunately, the hard way, but I've certainly felt like I've now learned it, is work working and choosing people based on the way I want to work and the way that they want to work is like a natural fit. It doesn't mean that you don't have debates and you don't have like, oh, that's how you interpreted what I did or, you know, talk those things, th- talk those things through. But, you know, it's really hard to move fast and create something out of nothing in general. And it's almost, if not absolutely impossible to do it if you're on a team and you have people on your team where, no one's ever going to work as hard as the founder. It's just kind of the way it is. And I like I accept that and I embrace that. But making sure that whatever are the things that you need or I need to have a successful relationship with someone such that I trust them and I'm comfortable having a difficult conversation with somebody because they know that I wouldn't be having it if I didn't care about them or that I didn't believe that they 
you know, wanted to get better or wanted to see the mission that we have at Mighty Networks through, then I, I don't think it's a good fit. And, you know, it's it's easy to waste and burn a lot of time in relationships that you just are like, we shouldn't be in this relationship together. And what I've learned both in business and in even romantic relationships is that if you don't make your needs explicit, like here's what I need to be successful yeah. and here's what I need for this dynamic and this relationship to be successful, expecting people to be clairvoyant about it just doesn't it's, it's yeah. It doesn't work. And every relationship is on both sides. So I always sort of start with what could I have done differently or how did I create this dynamic in this situation? And it actually makes the ability to have like a tough conversation that much easier. As a leader, it's always important to ask your reports and your team, hey, how can I do better? Because otherwise the emperor has no clothes and you think you're doing a great job and your team's unhappy or someone's not getting what they need and you're a bottleneck or whatever that may be. So exactly. Yeah. And when you're just starting out, I think it's good to have that in mind because you hire executives they have great resumes it's not always the brand on their resume or their title from their past experience there's so many more other things to look for to be sure that this is the right person and you can't just write on on their experience alone um so there's a couple questions that i ask everyone who comes on girl boss radio and one of the things we explore here at girl boss is this concept of success and i know we're talking a lot about work here but we all live our our lives in interconnected ways where you know let me say we're all living our lives our work lives and our personal lives in some way they're overlapping we don't put our typewriters away at 5 p.m. and you know are unable to work or stop working i wish i wish i could do that and you know it'd be it would be really interesting to live in the 1950s but you know, that that blend and the concept of success has really changed. It's not just about money. It's not just about work. So I'm curious for you right now, what does success mean to you? That we are able to bring software that changes social media into the world. And I am maniacal about this focus. I have a lovely life. It's peaceful. I have a lovely husband. Like, I like to look at him because I think he's cute. And fundamentally, he's also a good human being. And fundamentally, my purpose at this moment in my life is to say, one, I think that the way that social media evolved is not the way I want to leave it. And two, the answer is by empowering creators and entrepreneurs and individuals who have interests and passions that they can bring people together around. And if we can create amazing worlds for them between software and great thinking and super creative, amazing people that then can like make a living doing it, that is how I am defining success. So we have something called girl boss moments here at Girl Boss. And a girl boss moment is, you know, a time in recent history where you really kind of owned a moment. It was for you. You accomplished something or or didn't accomplish something and that felt really good. What was your most recent girl boss moment? I would say my most recent girl boss moment was on Friday night when we were having a conversation as a small team and the conversation could have gone either way. Were we going to go for it uh, and go for something that was hard? Or were we, were we going to be realistic and sort of set expectations lower? 
And in that moment, I knew with every fiber of my being that we should and could go for it and it would work. And four days later, it did. And it's so small, but like it was meaningful to me because you cannot create something out of nothing if you are not willing to take moments where you just basically say the focus needs to be on what's possible, not what's realistic. Gina, thank you so much for coming on Girlboss Radio. I've learned so much from you. I think everybody listening will have learned so much from you. And I feel lucky to know you. Uh, I'd love to connect one-on-one next time I'm up in the barrier or you're here. Maybe we meet halfway. Would love it. Between the West Side and Silver Lake. But thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, though, I want to just ask you a quick favor. If you like Girlboss Radio, and I hope you do, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many ambitious women as possible. And the more reviews we have, the easier it is for new listeners like you to discover us. That's it for now. Talk to you soon. <laughs>